everybody. Do you like getting stoned and watching a movie? Or just watching a movie? Well, then check out our podcast, I Am Weed, where we and a guest go to the movies and discuss it after. A movie review podcast with a little token twist. Get it? Oh, boy. But hey, you don't have to smoke weed to enjoy this podcast. Uh, you should enjoy watching movies, though. Subscribe to I Am Weed on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Uh, hey everybody, welcome to the, oh fuck, I almost forgot the name of my own podcast, Joe. That's embarrassing. <laughs> How many episodes have you done so far? Uh, eight. And no, I, you should have it down. Now. I definitely should. I wanted, to call, I wanted to call it the UCB podcast for a second. It's not. Um, welcome to the Improv Obsession podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein, and today we have a very special... Do you need to take that, Joe? No, I'm getting a call. Like I, I don't ever get phone calls. This is not a common occurrence. I should have shut my phone off. It's fine. No, you can totally... I don't, I don't care. This I feel is, like I like... I, it seems planned. Like I told somebody to call me right at 2.30. Yeah. So it looks like I'm getting an important phone call. It does look like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Stephen Perlstein, your host. Uh, today we have Joe Wangert. Uh, Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, you know, I'm from The Smokes and Ruben Williams and Ruben Starship, and he's the academic supervisor of UCBLA, formerly New York. Uh, Mr. Girardi, uh, you're just on Key and Peel Tuesday. It's true. I'm just trying to give all, all the credits. So Great. Is there anything that you like to like to throw out as well from like your credits? No, those are like the main things Good. that I've been doing or I've done. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so um, every week, I uh, or every time I have a new guest, I kind of just... Give people an opportunity to ask questions for the guest uh, before uh, beforehand. I usually ask, um, and so guys, if you're listening, do that. Uh, but also, this one seems kind of time sensitive. Mono uh, wanted to know if you can come outside. He's here to pick you up for mock. Uh, did you? Is yeah, that? Yeah. The answer to that is no. Okay. This is a long, ongoing bit with Mono and okay. I, where he acts like he's going to pick me up from Mock Improv, um, <laughs> and he will send me emails or text messages that just say, like, Hong Kong, come outside. But uh, we've never carpooled together to Mock Improv, only gone to Mock Improv one time. Okay. So the answer to that question is no. Okay. Yes. Well, then I guess uh, to that... Because the question was, can you come outside? Right? Yeah, can you come outside? Yeah, no. Yeah. I oh. don't think he's out there, so I'm not going to even test it. Okay. Well... Uh, then I guess to go with that, then please no pranks uh, for the questions. I take this very seriously. <laughs> what if I only? What if people only had prank questions for I, me? Uh, it's kind of sad. It would be no. Well, last week Greg, uh, Greg Zuckowski came on and he got a lot of uh, "Are you single?" Uh, and "You're really hot" questions, and I was like, okay, thanks guys. <laughs> uh, and he's single. Um, <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess just kind of to start at the top, uh, you, you should just talk about like uh, what kind of early comedy influences, background. Do you have anything like that? Like oh, sure, yeah. Funny like family, or like it was. Um, yeah, my uh, my grandfather is really funny. Like I think uh, I always looked up to him for that. Like he would kind of be the life of the party, and. Um, there's this uh, thing that's uh, popular in Philadelphia called the Mummers Parade. Do you know the Mummers Parade? No. I think it happens on, like, New Year's Day. It's this really weird thing. It's, like, string bands, but people make, like, these, like, bedazzled and bejeweled costumes that are really intricate that they wear, and usually involves, like, 
feathers and stuff. Um, but that's like a Philly tradition. And there's a 4th of July parade that would go past my grandparents' house. And the mummers would always be a part of it. Or some string band would be a part of it. And my grandfather would do this. Uh, mummers dance. He would like run off his porch and dance with the mummers. And it involves a lot of. This is not good for a podcast, but I'm gonna do I it right see now. It anyway. Where like it's a lot of like you kind of bob at your knees and you like punch the air with both hands. This is how I remember it as a kid. You like stick your butt out and you do a lot of strutting like this around a circle. And my grandpa used to do that, and everybody would think it was funny. And like I thought it was. That's like an, probably my earliest comedy memory of like. <laughs> Pop up is really funny, and he's making everybody laugh by acting like uh, a jackass sort of. The mummers dance. Okay, uh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, in terms of family stuff, and like I, my dad's kind of funny in like a dad humor kind of way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess I don't know if I, if I have any other funny people in my family. I guess not. Well, did you? I mean, did you have anything that made you? Uh, particularly, like, want to do comedy or, like, things that you maybe enjoyed younger? Or oh, life? definitely, definitely. Like, well, when I was little, I, like, that's how I kind of got attention. I remember, like, basically just telling lies in second grade, like, when we would stand in line. Like, I would yeah. make up these crazy lies about my little sister, and the teacher <laughs> let me do it for some reason, and people thought it was funny. I remember in fifth grade, we had to do, like, public speaking, and I would do like something like I one time you had to like design your own car I designed a solar powered car but I delivered it like Michelangelo from the Ninja Turtles and everybody thought that was really funny uh, I had to do a report on penguins and I came in with like a jacket and pretended like I was all cold and I just came in from Antarctica and people laughed at that so just doing little great yeah bits just like thoughts. little tiny little bits as a per as a small person um, and then I remember Really wanted to watch In Living Color, and I wasn't allowed to watch it for some reason. And then finally, my parents decided to start letting me watch that. And that's, like, one of the first, like, comedy shows I remember watching. Yeah. Pretty soon after that, my I have, like, my Aunt Linda and my Aunt Anne, or my dad's two sisters. They're both, like, cool aunts. And they okay. introduced me to uh, Monty Python and, like, classic Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And then I started watching current Saturday Night Live. When was, when was current? Uh, I get, when did you this get was, like, that? Phil Hartman, oh Dana God. Carvey Good. years, like, early, like, featured player Adam Sandler years. Yeah. And my parents would let me stay up really late and watch it, even though I was, like, probably, like, 10 or 11 when I started watching that show. Yeah. I remember, like, Fred Savage was the first one. It was Fred Savage hosted that. So. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So that was huge. And then once I got older, like, I was, like, a total comedy nerd in high school. Like, one of the things that people knew that was, like, my thing in high school was I was really into the kids in the hall. And I was, like, one of the only people that was really into it. Sure. Um, so that was kind of my show in high school. I remember they. I didn't have HBO, but they played it really late at night on CBS where I grew up at like three o'clock in the morning. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night one night and seeing that, like not understanding it and thinking it was so funny and like not uh, uh, like knowing it was funny, but not understanding how this great show was on TV at three o'clock in the morning when nobody yeah. was going to be able to see it. And it should it should be on all day. Yeah, yeah. and then it kind of was once Comedy Central came out. Yeah, Comedy Central came. I think my I think. It maybe was before this, but I wasn't aware of it until high school, and I just had it on constantly. Yeah. Because they would play Whose Lines In Anyway, and 
Kings in the Hall reruns and like funny movies and just watch that nonstop. Yeah, Comedy Central was like the greatest thing in the world. I remember, yeah, I used to watch, they used to have Saturday Night Live on Comedy Central. Uh-huh. Uh, that was probably when I was younger. Yeah, and then like, I used to, I used to mention lying, I used to lie to my friends and tell them that I was grounded on Friday nights. So I'd have to stay in, so I could stay in and watch uh, all the stand-up that went on. Like, you know, they did like premium blend and, oh, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, and then, uh, and then everybody knew I like stand-up comedy, and then constantly accused me of stealing bits, which I did a lot. But yeah, you know. Oh, I did. I feel like everybody went through a period of like rampant stealing. Yeah, I took like in a TV radio class. I think in high school. I think I was in like ninth or tenth grade. And I only wanted to do, like, we had to, like, record skits as a part of it. I only wanted to do comedy sketches. And we would do, like, I remember one that we did pretty much verbatim was the Chris Farley show, where he would, like, interview somebody. Like, <laughs> he'd interview Paul McCartney, be like, remember when you were Beatles? That was awesome. That was, like, the yeah. whole game. But we would do that <laughs> and just, like, just change the name from Chris Farley to my name or my friend David Cunningham's name. That's awesome. And then pretend we were interviewing a famous person. That's cool. So you you actually had people who were uh, into doing like comedy stuff with you in, in high school? N- or, no, no. Okay. no. David Cunningham was like the only one, okay. and it, I think it was just because of that class. Yeah. But I didn't have any outlet for doing it or performing in any way, and it didn't even like occur to me that that was something that you could do. Like I only just really loved it, and I loved watching it all the time. And I remember there'd be a lot of stand up specials on like MTV and VH1, and I'd watch all of those. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was just like a super fan. I didn't really start doing anything until college. So what? Uh, what did you? Uh, what did you get into college? I think I thought I remember you saying, and I thought I heard it somewhere that you did like short form. Is that a thing? I did. Okay. I uh, in a very terrible named troupe out of the University of Delaware called the Rubber Chickens, <laughs> which is like that's not, even, <laughs> that's not even trying to come up with like a shitty pun. Yeah, it's not even a just... shitty pun involving improv. It's just like, what's a thing that's like an object that's related to comedy is not funny in any Banana way. Banana peels went down by one vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like... yeah. And I remember like being, because I was like a comedy nerd, I joined, it, it started literally one semester before I started going to school there. So it started the spring semester before my fall semester and I remember being so mad that that was the name and like wanting to change the name and everyone was like no we build a reputation over one whole semester of this name of the rubber chickens for not changing it and they're still they're still called the rubber chickens like it's still going strong like whatever it is however many years later it is now that's that's awesome um and yeah so so during the short form stuff uh uh I mean you, you love comedy obviously but and then you go to college and you just you start doing it with a short form. Uh, was it your intention, I guess, around that period to be like, oh, I'm doing this like forever type of thing, like maybe professionally? Or did that I remember ever- feeling like kind of like sad my junior year because <laughs> I was like, oh, I only have two more years to do comedy and then I won't do it anymore. I'll just, oh, that is sad. I was like an education major. I wanted to be a teacher my whole life, and I was like, I'm just going to be a teacher from here on out. And then. Um, I really liked the UCB show on Comedy Central. That came out when I was in college. I would yeah. watch that. Obviously got like a lot of good feedback from doing improv. Like My improv troupe became very popular, and we would sell out shows, and we would do monthly shows, and we would like partner with the acapella group and like get new fans from that. And uh, in my senior year, we found out that the UCB had a theater in New York. So a bunch of 
a couple of my friends and I who were in the troupe that were like really serious about comedy went up and got to see the UCB live because we would get university allocated funds like every other club would yeah like especially every other theater group I think we had like the same budget but we didn't need to buy costumes or sets or anything because it was all improv so we would save up all of our money and then do a senior send-off in quotes at the end of the year where we would just like rent a giant like 18 person passenger van and drive to New York and see like the swarm which was like Billy Merritt's old team in New York and then go out to, like, a steak dinner. <laughs> like, that's how we spent <laughs> money. Um, awesome. And a couple of times when we did that, we would do workshops with people at UCB. But the first time I went up there, the UCB were prepping for season three. So we saw them do an episode of their show basically live on stage. And then afterwards, they came out and improvised. And they had other people, I think, like, Rob Riggle and Rob Hubel and Paul Shear, like, filled out their cast. And they basically improvised for the second half of their show. And that was the first time I saw long form. And after doing short form for a while, I remember getting kind of tired of it. (laughs) And like, you could figure out like ways to kind of like fuck around with the rules to like make it fun, which is kind of like maybe a symbol a, that you might be an asshole and B that you're just getting (laughs) tired of short form. Yeah. So when I saw long form, I was like, Oh, this seems really cool. And it like, it, I always kind of felt like a little embarrassed by short form when I did it at being such a like snobby comedy nerd. Even when you were doing it from the beginning? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Because there is, when it's not done well, there can be like an inherent corniness to it, I think. Yeah. Good, good short form is, is enjoyable, but yeah, like bad, bad short form is, I feel like worse than bad long form. Like it's, it's cause it's just like, it's like, oh, you gotta set up this whole thing. Like clearly it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. You know? Like if, if in bad long, like if it's a bad long form, I can kind of get away with like, okay, they're, you know, they're just moving the scene, scene along or they're treating it real. And it's, it's not funny, but it's, at least I'm seeing something that's right. like bad long form. It's like new choice. <laughs> uh, 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 geez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's, uh, so that's really cool. So you got, so you, and, and then after, well then, yeah. So then we, we got to home. interview, I went with this first time I went, I went with my friend Lee yeah. uh, who wrote for the school newspaper and he, his whole racket was like he would go to New York and interview comedians. So he got to interview Chris Rock. He got to interview somebody else. He would like go, he'd get the school to pay for him to go see the show yeah. and then interview them afterwards. So he got to do this with UCB. He knew that I was really into UCB because we were both in this, we were both in the rubber chickens together. So he was like, why don't you come with me and I'll say that you're my photographer. I was like, but I don't have a camera. So he was like, just get a disposable camera. So I got like a shitty, they, they probably don't even make disposable cameras anymore, but I got like a shitty Kodak disposable camera. We went and interviewed the UCB. Um, and then after the show, I took a bunch of unpublishable pictures of them with of this course. disposable camera. Disposable so they camera. just had to use like stock photo for the, they ran just like the yeah. UCB stock photo in the paper. But we got to interview Besser and Ian and Walsh and Amy. And afterwards, like I felt this like desperation. I remember asking Besser, like, how do you learn how to do this? I want to do what you guys are doing. And he was like, you know, explain that it's kind of like an oral tradition and there isn't really like a book that you can read. And I remember he recommended truth and comedy, but he's like, really, you have to come here or you have to like go to Chicago and learn how to do it. And after that is when we started using university funds to go up and do workshops. And then after I graduated my senior year, the summer right after that, I started, I signed up for level one. 
and I was living at home with my parents, but I would drive up with my college friends for class on Sundays. Is that a, that's got to be a, a pretty good drive, isn't it? Yeah, it was like two, three hours. Okay, wow. Dedicated. That was kind of our reputation. We were like this group of nerds from Delaware who would drive up on Sundays for yeah. three hours, stop at a Cinnabon, get some Cinnabons, continue <laughs> on to the city. Awesome, that's great. Um, that's awesome. Uh, and then, okay, so you're going, you know, so you started going through the classes, um, and then, uh, uh, well, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what's probably the interesting part of that background. Okay, so you're going through the classes, and you have a little experience doing short form, and you're comedy nerd. Uh, what what was it like? I mean, just to start, like, uh, did you? Did you hit the ground running? Did you kind of fall flat on your face? What do you What do you think? I loved it right from the get go. I was so obsessed with it, yeah. um, and it made me mad that like we could only ever really see Ascat. We would stay in the city for Ascat and then drive home very late after that. Mm-hmm. But um, I couldn't really go to see Harold Knight or all these other shows that I wanted to see. Um, I think when you're coming from a short form background, you have to break yourself of a lot of bad habits. Mm -hmm. And I also, I was just telling the story to somebody earlier today. I, um, (laughs) being such a a comedy nerd, I felt like I kind of like was kind of maybe good at like initiating with premisey things early on. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was... I think a bad improviser for like the first three levels of class because I didn't really listen. I would just like try and write in my own head a lot and think sure. of things ahead of time. And it was a bad habit that kind of went unchecked for a little while because I think I was good at hiding the fact that I was doing it. Yeah. And then I got called out really badly in my uh, 301 graduation show because um, I stepped out to do a scene with this girl and she initiated the scene and my response was, don't worry about that right now. <laughs> and I said whatever my idea that I wanted to use was from the opening. Wow. And I remember my teacher was uh, furious with me. That's, yeah, that's a pretty sh- uh, called me out on it. shitty move. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> but I'm very thankful that he was like very harsh and gave me the note and was explained why that's such a terrible thing to do. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise I just would have continued to be... Um, like just an impossible person to improvise with, <laughs> not listening to people, just a complete writing monster. my own scenes by myself. The opposite of what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, well, speaking of writing, at, at that time, were you doing were you doing any writing, sketch writing? Yeah, I, I wrote sketches in college, um, and like towards the end of college, I remember like the Rubber Chickens got to do like a TV special on our uh, on our like uh, our whatever our university act, student access channel, sure. and we staged a couple of sketches as that. And sometimes in our live shows, we would do sketches in between improv games. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend Neil Casey, who um, uh, is a performer at UCB New York and I both went through classes together and after we signed up for Improv 101 we found out that our teacher Armando Diaz was also teaching a sketch class outside of UCB mm-hmm. I think this was before UCB had their own sketch classes mm-hmm. so we signed up for his class so we would go and have our improv class from 12 to 3 then our friends would go wander around the city and we would go to Armando's apartment and take a sketch class with him that's cool. And we wrote a bunch of sketches, and then um, we eventually, we just kept writing sketches, and once we got more familiar with the community, we became friends with this guy, Will Hines, who's a performer in New York, and we asked him to direct our show, and he did, and we put up a spank in, like, 
2002, 2003, or something like that, that was very well received. So I was kind of doing improv and sketch at the same time. That's awesome. Uh, I feel like I feel like that's sort of a good way to go at it. I feel like they reinforce each other. Yeah, I and really like, you know, think that's a. I think taking the classes um, uh, simultaneously is good. Yeah, or concurrently or whatever. They cut. Yeah, they they kind of. I don't know. It's, like it's, 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 it's such a common vocabulary that they share, and right. I feel like if you can get good at writing sketches with game, you, you're going to get better at recognizing it, and when you get better at recognizing it on your feet, it makes it easier for when you sit down yeah. to write a sketch to sort of like have a really clear premise. And, and then like height, and then height, heightening is such a, like, and being able to write and just being like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with, you know, 20 game beats or whatever and just be like boom 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 alright these five are terrible it's, right. it's kind of cool it's, yeah it's really yeah they inform each other really well in different ways and uh, if you're not doing that everybody do it there yeah. we go um, <laughs> okay so uh, so you go through the classes uh, and then eventually you're you're on a Herald team right you mm-hmm. eventually was Ruben uh, Williams is that your first Herald team or my no? first Herald team was called Dillinger oh of course um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I was, know I know a lot of Harold uh, team names from listening to like podcasts and stuff. I don't know anybody who's on any of them, but I was just like, oh yeah, I know that team. It exists. <laughs> we were like uh, we were kind of good right away. Okay. Um, so we were we got to do like we won cage match one year, and we got to go to like the super cage match in Chicago, and like people were really we were just very received on Harold Night, which kind of at the time. You got really excited, you got on a Herald team, then your Herald team, like, kind of sucked for a while, and then either it got good or it got broken up. Mm-hmm. Where, like, we had this, like, chemistry, and we got along very well with each other, and we kind of had, you know, semi-good shows right away. At least I remember them being good. It okay. could be terrible. It could be rose-colored glasses. <laughs> um, but it was a really strong team. Uh, my friend Anthony King, who I then went on, Ruben Williams with, was on it. And then uh, everybody... Lennon Parham was on the team, Eric Tenoy, uh, Brett Christensen, Zach Woods, Risa Sangurai, and Sarah Burns. So it was just like everybody was really good. And a lot of those people, like, are, have gone on to like a lot of, you know, really cool, successful things since then. Yeah. But I think the real key was we just, I was only friends with like Zach and Brett prior to the team and then we just like all became really good friends right away we would take pictures of each other all the time we would have like a group (laughs) dinner before every herald night whether we were performing or not we would do lots of like extracurricular activities like we would go and do karaoke and stuff like that um and the Chicago thing was a big deal because it was like a long road trip where we basically just like went on a vacation together yeah. uh, in a van. Um, so I feel like that is an important thing for like a young improv group. Like if you just hang out all the time and become good friends, it makes a huge difference. I feel like we developed chemistry really fast that showed up on stage. That's awesome. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, even even like I watched... I went and just saw the the first batch of New Herald teams in New York, and then I saw both the premieres for the these, these new scandal in uh, Winslow. Winslow, that's it. Yeah, and I saw it, and yeah, it's, you can definitely see like uh, the the yeah instant chemistry helps yeah. like so much. It's yeah, insane. I feel like all the Herald teams are really strong in LA right now, and all yeah. those guys are really good at like they really do find the time to hang out with each other and get on the same page. Yeah. And, they really work together as teams. 
which I think is a big deal. The um, the Herald teams right now, I, I, lo- I love them all. I've said it before, but like I think they're I think it's great too because they're all pretty unique. Like if, if, if I couldn't tell, if I could, if somehow I could not tell who was saying anything or like what anybody looked like and just could get an idea of what happened in the Herald, I could go like, oh, that's definitely a bangerang show. Yeah. Like that's a kid grip show. I know a kid. Uh, and it's perfect because it's like they all, there's, it shows like the, the, the diversity that is possible in doing it. And that's really, I think that really comes from like spending a lot of time with each other, rehearsing a lot and getting group mind because yeah. group mind then gives you like a voice that kind of makes you more than just like another improv group you know that's interesting uh, i never even thought of it that way but yeah um now i feel dumb for not thinking of it that way <laughs> okay so you uh so you're doing Herald team and then uh uh you you eventually became the what, what is it academic supervisor i forgot your title that's the title yeah, yeah academic supervisor of new york uh and eventually so uh leading up to that uh, what was what was that like? How did you end up there? I mean, you, you were obviously teaching. You were I was I started teaching um, probably like a year or two before I got that job, and I was a teach like my day job was I taught middle school. I taught special ed, yeah, uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders in a middle school. Um, so I would get up very early in the morning, go and teach middle school all day until like three o'clock. And then the evening I either taught a class or I had an improv show. And I did all my comedy stuff at night. Right. And the first couple of years I was doing that, I was like 21. I was like, you know, you can do anything. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you get five hours of sleep. And then after I taught for five years and towards the end of that, I just felt like comedy wasn't waning I felt like I was getting more opportunities in terms of comedy and it was becoming this battle where I had to like choose between like do I really want to work on my lesson plans or do I want to do this show or go on this audition right and it felt like this weird competition that didn't exist before and I think that happens to everybody with a day job but I wasn't working a temp job I was like teaching eighth graders that don't know how to read how to read yeah so it was like i kind of don't want to phone it in for yeah. this i want to do a good job so i just like decided like i'm gonna stop teaching maybe for a couple years maybe forever and just focus on comedy stuff yeah so i went to uh chris gethard who was the academic supervisor at the time at ucb and was like i'd love to increase my class load and teach more classes and he was like, oh, that's interesting. You should come in and we should talk. Because at that time, he was ready to leave his position as the academic supervisor. Yeah, right. And they were looking for somebody to take over. So basically, I got to interview for that job and I got it. And it was like a nice transition because then I still had a day job. But now UCB and comedy yeah. was my day job. That's great. Uh, and then, okay, so I have, I have some small idea of what you do as the academic supervisor. Uh, but, uh, I mean... Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> um, well, you know, writing curriculum and updating curriculum and revising curriculum is part of it. Training new teachers, mm-hmm. um, auditing the pre-existing teachers, so like going in, sitting on their class, giving them feedback on, on that sort of stuff. Dealing with um, student issues and questions and complaints. One thing I actually wanted to plug on this thing is this year I'm trying to do office hours. Oh, are so you on really? Mondays from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can come Jesus. to UCB, and I'll be there because I'm already there doing yeah. work anyway. And if you have just, like, a question about a class or if you have a question about improv theory or you feel like you're kind of stuck and you don't know where to go next, like, those sorts of things I'm trying to make myself available That's for. That's really cool. Um 
So, yeah, dealing with, like, student issues and questions and complaints, and then we're always trying to, like, expand and develop new things and new types of classes, so working on that stuff. Uh, I run the diversity program, um, and uh, I'm also, part of my job is I'm working on a textbook with uh, the UCB, which has been a long, ongoing process. Yeah. Uh, But we're still working on that. I want to hear everything about the textbook yeah I mean (laughs) I don't know what I can what I should say about like basically the idea is it's will be a companion to our classes it'll be like required like just like when you take a college class there are books you have to buy you have to buy this book when you sign up for level one and we're really writing it like a textbook we're treating it like a history textbook or like a math textbook so um, it's right now it's called improv basics. I don't know if that'll be the final uh, term, but we basically split it up into two sections, like the yes and portion of the scene, the base reality portion of the scene, and then game. And then we also talk a bit about Harold and forms. And it's just, we're trying to write it in a way so that a group of college kids in the Midwest who don't have access to Chicago or LA or New York and they can't take classes but they want to do improv could read this book and get an understanding of how to do long form improv, how to do game based scenes. Sort of the book that didn't exist when I asked Matt Besser about it when I was in school. Well, uh, yeah, that's interesting because putting yourself in the mindset of having to like, oh, I don't know anything about improv and then how do I explain, you know, scene painting or whatever? It's so, you know, it's crazy. Like, and it's also the, the biggest roadblock that we have come up across, come up upon again and again is you go like, you can't, we can't explain this with this term because we haven't introduced it yet. Like the beginning of this book was so impossible to write because mm-hmm. it's like, how can you, how can I tell you about something where I can't use half of the words that I normally use yet. It's for the same reason why teaching an improv 101 class is very difficult sometimes when you've been doing improv for 10 years. Yeah. Because you have to constantly remind yourself, these people don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know anything that I'm talking about right now. And you have to put it into these terms where they can understand it. Are you it's mad really at these, these one-on-one students? No, no, I just got robbed. fucking up. idiots. Why don't you get All my students all the time, and all my students know that. No, of course not. Um, so that has been a, that's been a challenge. I remember at some point it was like, I was like, we should have my mom read this book and see if it makes sense to my mom. Because my mom does not know what improv is, does yeah. not understand it. Even though I've tried to explain it to her before. She's yeah. seen me do it a bunch of times. But it's the kind of thing of like, we should get a bunch of moms to read this book and see yeah. if it makes sense to them. Uh, I'll volunteer my mom. She Every time I try to explain it to her... Uh, and then she she saw a show. It wasn't one of my. She went up north and saw a show, and she's like, "I didn't know what they were doing. They were, <laughs> it was just confusing and not funny." And I was like, "Yeah, that sometimes happens. I don't know." Yeah, it's hard. Like when you're performing for people that really don't know, like on Torco, when we go to colleges where they really haven't seen it before, you can really feel them like learning what it is in the first yeah. couple of scenes. And then sometimes you will get much more, like, greater laughs in the second half of the show. Yeah. Because they've sort of caught on and they get what's happening. Um, do you, uh, so that's another thing. Do you ever, do you ever think about um, improv audiences? I feel like, okay, so I feel like a lot of improv audiences are improvisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's safe to say. Absolutely. Um, do you ever, do you ever think about 
I don't know if it's a problem, but what the problem is and getting people who are not improvisers to watch it. Because uh, I, I, I think about that a lot. Like I, I, I Not a lot, but it's something that I sort of like, I want to develop maybe an audience that's not just, you know, the, the 30 improvisers that I know. You know? Well, what I think happens is I think its reputation has gotten a lot better over the past 10 years or, you know, definitely since I've been doing it. Right. Because I think that's always like people, I think it has had a bad reputation because of bad short form for so long and for people not knowing what long form is and not really being able to describe it in any sort of satisfying way. I think new people do come to the theater now, but I think what happens is like, New people will come and see Cat. They really like it. They start taking classes. They become improvisers. And yeah. that's when they then go see everything else. Yeah. I think it's rare to find people who are like... And I've met some people like this through the years that are just like, I'm super into improv. I go see all the shows that used to be all week long, but I am not in classes and I do not want to be in classes. I feel like that's like a real anomaly. Yeah. And there's something about it when you see it done really well... Uh, it looks so effortless and it looks like I could do it. Yeah. I think the reason, because it's insanely popular right now and it's been growing in popularity for years and that is really mind-blowing to me and I think it satisfies something that like all, I think everybody somewhere inside of them wants to be creative in some way. Yeah. It's nice to have that creative outlet. I think improv is a thing that just like a very high percentage of people go... I think this is a way that I could be creative. Yeah. Um, and it is like, it is something that you can learn. Well, yeah, you can do it on your own. You don't have to like buy a bunch of equipment or it's fun. It's easy. Know. It's, if it looks easy and it looks, it's like, it feels like noncommittal too. It's like, I don't have to memorize something. I don't have to, yeah. I can just go out and be, have a lot of fun and be hilarious. And then when great. you do a class, when you take a class or you do a show and it goes well, it is like the most fun thing that you can possibly do. Yeah. Like, and, it, and I've been doing it for years now and it isn't any less fun than when I started doing it like 12 years ago or whatever. Like it's just crazy fun. That's great. I love to hear that. Um, uh, you, uh, you said super popular. Uh, you might know this. How many, how many students at any given time, are like in a UCB class in LA. Um, if you had to ballpark it, I don't know. I don't know any given time. I don't okay. know. About but average in, over the in a year, it's like about three thousand in between three and four thousand a year. Wow, which is you, that, that's unique students. Yeah. Um. So you know that's insane. That's a lot. It's a lot people. of people. Um. And it's it's grown a lot since when it started, obviously. And yeah. now that it's you know New York and LA. And it seems like there's just still, you know, a huge appetite for it. Like, when we put up new classes, they sell out. And it's not like we're the only improv theater here. There are lots of other improv theaters in L.A. that are doing classes and doing well. Yeah, um, that's true. It seems to be very popular. Um, the cl- Yeah, the classes actually frustrate me constantly because, like, uh, I'll, see, I'll see, like, a... You know, Eugene Cordero Advanced Study go up, uh, and I'll, like I'll look at it and I'm like, "Oh, cool! I just realized this is there, and it's sold out." Like, yeah. God damn it! Like that happens yeah. constantly with any, in all classes, all levels. Like I, I wanted to. Uh, it was, this was probably a year or so ago. I saw a class with Sean Clements is doing like a two hundred one. I'm like, I'll do that. I'm like he's he's cool. I want to do that. It was sold out as soon as I fucking went to yeah. it. Yeah. And there's no. I don't even know because people ask me what do I do about that. And you just kind of have to. 
check the website all the time. I wish we would do New York uh, a couple of years ago started. They post on the boards. Yeah, and it's like Wednesday is new class day. Yeah. I, and I feel like it would be great if we could start doing that out here, but... A lot of work. We're not doing it. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to do. Um... Uh, bu- 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 okay, uh, so I got, I got a question submitted, and it was for Margaret, and she asked, uh, do you think that there's such a thing as uh, people with natural talent for improv? Uh, do you think that's a thing? Yeah, I think so. I think you still need to learn the rules and everything, but you know, I think that there are some people who are just naturally good at you know, listening, who have like... Uh, like a high capacity for emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean, like you, you just know how people behave in certain situations. Uh, people that are really observant and and you know can sort of take in people and like get people. Like they're going to be good at doing characters. Um, so I think there's like a a, a very high. Per- I think probably a lot of the best improvisers have a high whatever that sort of natural improv quotient if there would be some way to to measure that yeah. they probably would all rate pretty high yeah. I kind of view our classes as like teach just teaching like a method that people can then sort of focus their talents into yeah um, like we don't teach anybody that talent obviously but yeah. we teach you how to refine what you think is funny in your voice yeah I, how to do how to how to efficiently and with other people express your own funny. Okay. Um, why well, I, I, uh, I pitched this or explained it to somebody once for the classes of like, uh, that, how did I say this exactly? Uh, I noticed that you're looking at that, and I don't know what it was, but that totally distracted me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. I, I feel, I feel terrible for being flustered that easily. Um, uh, you set it up so for people that don't know, I'm looking at all Steven's DVDs right yeah. now. Pretty impressive collection. It's hard not to just look at all the DVDs. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, was, uh, I said something to the effect of like uh, the cl- classes at UCB kind of give you a nice, a nice like framework for a basis of comedy that like even if you were completely unfunny, if you could follow kind of the basis and you didn't have you didn't have any of that those like natural abilities or whatever set but if you follow the basis of what you're supposed to do you come up with something pretty funny and it wouldn't it wouldn't be great and it wouldn't necessarily be super creative but it would be pretty funny uh and then but like yeah you're saying on top of that if you can bring a lot of individual skills you know characters or uh, you know perspective or life experience something like that uh then i think it really helps you excel but i don't think anybody teaches you how to be funny. No. I don't think that's a we, thing. And we don't. Like, and we always say that. Like, that's not something that we can really... We can't... We, well, we can't make you fun, you yeah. know? But we can teach you sort of the best way to get the most out of what is funny about you. Um, I think... I, I really think of it as, like, learning, like, a language uh, when you learn the methods at UCB. Like, and I think... That was proven to me when I moved here from New York. Mm-hmm. In the first two or three weeks I was here, I did a tour co show. I think it was with Heather Campbell and David Harris and Joel Spence, and I hadn't met any of them before. Okay, we got to the airport. We got to the airport and we flew to, um, um, I think Montana or somewhere. Okay, uh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> we got on stage and did a show and 
I thought it was a great show and it was yeah. really well received. And to me, I was like, that's so cool that like, I literally don't know these guys. I've never met them before, but because we all speak the same language, we can get together yeah. and just do improv. Um, so, I th- yeah, I think that's super important in the comedy environment. I, uh, I've heard, uh, like people talk even about like in the writing process, uh, I, I specifically have heard like anecdotes from community about how Dan Harmon uses the story circle. He's really like on story circle, yeah. And that everybody and that everybody's on the same page and they break the story in that way. They tell stories in that way, and it's you know, say whatever whatever you think about community or the story circle isn't necessarily important, but it's like that's how they all communicate yeah. how what they think is funny and how to get the best out of it. So right. yeah, like yeah, having that common language of people that is like heightening and all that. It's it's the best. Um, so I agree. Uh, do you want another water? No, I'm good. I can totally help. I can totally get you one. So good. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, then I guess I want to talk to you for a little bit about you as a performer. Um, because, let's see, I watch you on the smokes, and I, you guys were one of the first teams, like, because I had Eugene Cordero for my 101, I went to go see the smokes a lot. Uh, and I remember really, like, trying to break down everybody of, like, mm-hmm. how I thought they approached stuff. Uh, and I remember thinking, like, oh, Brian just goes in with such attitude and emotion, and Eugene can come in with this, like, either being completely serious or just being a fucking cartoon. And then Billy, I don't know what he's doing, but he just cracks me up. But you, you, I always I always thought this, and I still stick with it, that I feel like every time you're on stage, you're, like, 100% you. But with, if, if they have anything that's, you know, anything that's different, like, I've seen you be like a preacher with like Tourette's or something like that. Even if you have something different, it still very much reads as you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. I don't have range in terms of characters. <laughs> that, uh, no. Um, that's interesting. I don't know. Like I can't, I don't know how to answer a question like that. Cause I can't see what I'm doing yeah. outside of me, you know? Yeah. But I definitely feel like, I, uh, an approach that really resonated with me as I was coming up is just this idea of like, remember and don't invent. Like, I think you should always try to put as much of you as you can into anything you're doing, no matter how different the character sounds, or how weird the character is, or how fundamentally different it is from you. It's just always going to be funnier and ring, uh, truer if you can bring some amount of yourself to it. So... Uh, and I feel like in, in most situations, at least my personal philosophy in improv is you can be you most times. Like you can be, if I'm playing somebody different from me, it can sound like me and it can, um, uh, move like me. And I think really a big important part of UCB improv to me is like just playing things at the top of your intelligence. Like what would I do in this situation? And if you are really honest with that and authentic with it, I think like that gets a good reaction most of the time because yeah. somebody or most people are going to relate to the choices that your character is making. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's that's I think it's true. Uh, you yeah, uh, I think Eugene is specifically he always reminds me of just like if you react real, which he does a, a lot of times in just like this way, and it's even it's even just like a way of like. Are you fucking kidding me? Like that's that'll be a very real response that Eugene will give, uh, and, and that you too. And that's, uh, but but what 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 always kind of resonates with me, and I guess since it's hard for you to speak about it because you don't see yourself, but also I feel like when I watch you too, I also feel like you're pretty vulnerable. If that makes if that like you you I feel very every time whatever you're saying feels very 
honest and like even if it's something shitty about yourself or shitty about somebody else it just feels like oh man you just got put out you just out there yeah I feel I I mean again that's like a personal thing for me but I I respond very well when performers do that and I just feel like it it's gonna resonate with the like they can see through the bullshit basically if you're giving people especially in improv it's so the audience is such a huge part of it it's such an intimate setting you're like so close with each other if you're not being real on some level they're gonna know it um so i think there's that level to it and i don't know like i i think i don't i don't know how to put this like there's no point in like not being vulnerable if that's what the scene needs like because it's not you it's your character Right. That's something I feel like I come up in class a lot of, like, don't try to be cool. There's no point in trying to be cool, trying, trying to, to have your to... A character win or yeah. try to have your character be right. Like, you just want to play that situation how it really goes. And I know, like, I feel like that's also something that I've been trying to do when I do stand-up as well. It's just, like, talk about what I was really thinking when I did this stupid thing or yeah. what I was really feeling when this embarrassing thing happened to me. Um, as opposed to try and like be make it so that the audience is like that guy's a cool guy. Like, who wants to laugh at that? Nobody <laughs> wants to laugh at that. This ever guy is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and I okay. So I know that your stand up is fairly. Well, I guess it's not that new, but it was it was new for when you came out to L.A. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've only been doing it for like three years. Yeah. Uh, and you, so, hmm, I'm trying, so like, what's your, I mean, what's your approach to, to stand up? I feel like, I feel like that's not, I don't honestly, like when I, whenever I think about stand up, I, and cause I was very into it before improv, um, uh, I feel like the approach isn't necessarily the same. I don't oh yeah. No, I think they're very different. It's de I mean, it's just. I still, the one thing I feel like that they're very similar is I do feel like the audience is really a big part of it. Like, uh, sort of getting a read on like, what are they responding to? What type of people are there? Like, what is the vibe in the room? I think that's like, goes the same for improv and for stand up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I, I feel lucky in that I don't have to think about it as much in improv because I primarily just perform at UCB where it's kind of like the home crowd that you're yeah. performing for and it's people that are in our classes where they really love improv so it's not hard to like get on their side but it's something that I feel like I have to think about more in terms of stand up of like you know is this a show where I can try out new stuff or should I just kind of like do stuff that I know that works like what sort of energy level should I be at like should I go for weirder things here or should I kind of not, you know, should I tell more like jokes about my cat? <laughs> like that, <laughs> that sort of stuff. The cat jokes um, are always good. Uh, yeah, people always like them. No matter what. Uh, um, but in terms of, I don't know, it still feels, even though three years seems like a long time, it still feels so new to me. Like I'm hesitant to say like, here's my approach. Cause I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing really. Um, and I feel like I'm always kind of learning new things. The only thing I really try and do is just write stuff every single day. Try to do, I still try and do open mics to try things out. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, you know, you just, it's doing that, doing a lot of rewriting. If something gets some response, like rewriting it and trying to make it as the best it can be. Yeah. 
Um, hmm. So, so you do, and I also know that you do sketch stuff too. But I, I don't know how, how do you write sketch much anymore. I really have only been writing like one person sketches, and I think that's mostly out of laziness more than anything else. Right. Um, but I'm still. But yeah, I still do a good, a fair amount of that. That yeah. Um. So okay. So you do improv. You're the academic supervisor uh-huh. of the UCB. Uh, you write some sketches. You stand up. Uh, and I know. I know your stand up schedule is busy. I, you know. You just. I know that you. So you do a lot. And I see you constantly popping up at like public house or whatever. You know all these little things. Right. Um. Uh. So. Uh. Do you do you have like time for a life? Uh, past couple of years, I really haven't, I yeah. feel like, and that's something that I'm trying to change, but that's kind of always been my personality, I think, as an adult, because bef- I feel like I have more time for life now than I did when I was, like, a teacher during the day and then a comedian at nighttime. Right. Um, but it's weird, like, I don't have a lot of hobbies, like because comedy kind of was my hobby and now it's my job. Right. Uh, so I'm slowly trying to like, I golf. That's one thing that I do <laughs> as a hobby. Uh, one thing I've been talking about, I think I talked about this on another podcast and I haven't done it since then, but I kind of want to take like a class in something like I kind of want to take a cooking class. Okay. Like I want to, I feel like I want to like take some classes to like figure out what my hobbies are. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Like I, I am, the my personality is such that I need to like schedule in time in my week where I relax yeah. or where I like I'll put in a schedule like have lunch with a friend <laughs> so, <laughs> and my friends are busy and you know we're like at the age where people are married and stuff so like sometimes at the beginning of the week I will email three of my friends I'll be like Hello, Eugene, do you want to have lunch sometime this week? When can you have lunch? But if I don't do it, I just will eat all of my meals by myself and just be a little robot and, like, not have human experiences. That's so funny. That makes me laugh because I do that shit, too. On my iCal, this is something that my therapist told me to do. Like, on my iCal, like, tonight is Saturday, I think, from, like, 1030 to 12, it just says, relax. (laughs) That's amazing. That's stupid, man. You should just know when to relax. And that's actually, this Saturday, I'm breaking a rule. For my life, for this podcast, even because I've been trying to have Saturdays be a day where I don't do any writing, I don't do any performing, I don't oh. do any shows or anything. Joe, you're so nice. Thank so, you. Thank you. I'm sorry that you... Be grateful is what I'm saying. <laughs> Very grateful. <laughs> I was saying that as a joke. No, it's not. Uh, no, it, it read completely. I am truly thankful. Uh, that uh, Yeah, that makes me laugh. I do, uh, I've actually been coming up against friends about this recently who are just like not comedy nerds and just like you don't do anything i haven't seen and you, you have to ever and i'm yeah. like yeah no and i know don't, i like, do shows every night and i when i when i don't have a show i'm like i'm gonna write and then when i do and i'm not writing or having a show it's like i'll guess i'll practice I'll, maybe billy's workshop has a spot open like i'm you know constantly doing a thing and i don't think it's a strong way to continue to be a comedian actually because every time i do take a day and I go do something else, mm-hmm. that is where you get new ideas from. Yeah. Like just, 
I'm gonna go to the Getty or I'm gonna go to this weird thing at Machine Project or something and do something else. Yeah, that's like kind of you, you obviously have to like <laughs> live your life. Yeah, in order to keep having things to talk about. Uh, it's so hard. I get, I, I'm, I'm like totally. I'm obsessive. I do. I get obsessive about things, and I it's, don't. It's hard when I have a really. Stop. I mean, busy, my no. podcast is called the Improv Obsession Podcast <laughs> because it seriously is. But you're like how many years into improv are you? Uh, this, uh, I mean, I've been performing for like less than a year, so maybe a year and a half. I actually even. think the first year or two, it's especially with improv, it's good to like you, if you want to be good at it, you have to get to that obsession level. Yeah. When I was in classes, when I finally did move to New York, which I guess was like my second time through level three, mm-hmm. I went to UCB every night of the week, yeah. or I had a practice group, and I was kind of like one of the people that was notorious when I did get on a Herald team like right before I got on a Herald team I was on like five different practice groups yeah. because I just wanted to do it and I do think it helps you the more practice and the more you, especially you can see it early on it just does help a ton Yeah, just once you sort of get your thing and you start getting it down that's when you kind of have to like go back and remember life before comedy when it's like oh yeah I used to just go hang out and do nothing sometimes yeah uh, yeah, actually, somebody, I think this was a UCB New York podcast, somebody actually called that the Joe Wenger approach of doing as many classes and teams and groups as possible. That's, that's the me approach? Yeah, it was called the Joe Wenger <laughs> approach. I, I think you can blame, uh, what was it, Will Hines? Will, Will yeah, Eric, I think you can blame, guys, yeah. yeah, I think you can blame them for that. Yeah, no, I mean, I blame myself because I was in, like, I was in every practice group. <laughs> That's uh, that's great. Um, all right, so last, uh, see, so yeah, I think I'm trying to figure out. We got a couple more minutes. Um, okay, yeah, actually, here's one a, a question from Doctor Friendship. Great name. Um, what's uh, what's the process for determining somebody if somebody gets into advanced study? Um, <clears throat> it's primarily a lot of the weight goes to their most recent 401 instructor because okay. they're seeing the person the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of make the initial decision. And then when a student wants to apply for advanced study, there's like an entrance essay that you have to read. And I read all of those. That's another thing that I do. Oh, cool. What do you think of what I wrote, man? <laughs> uh, let me get my laptop out. So I read all of those. And then if it seems like the person is like, things that I look for is like they're doing a practice group or two practice groups with like a coach that I know is good or like one of our teachers on staff Mm -hmm. or they have a lot of performance experience Mm -hmm. uh, or they have like acting experience or something like that or they just have really interesting and compelling reasons for wanting to do advanced study like so many of my readers go like I want to be on a Herald team it's like well yeah Yeah, yeah. everybody does (laughs) give me more than that like what else there's besides being on stage at a very popular improv theater, what do you like about it? <laughs> improv? Right. Um, so I read those things, and if, if there are things that sort of like jump out to me, then I talk to the teacher if I feel like we should maybe consider, like I basically like seek a rebuttal with their decision, and we sort of talk about it in person or over the phone. Yeah. And that's it. Awesome. Um, I was going to find the one that I sent, but I, it's, I guess I don't have it here. But I did. I did very much say stuff like improv has changed everything for me. Jenny. It's cool to read that. I read that on a lot of them, and it's cool. Like I think that is something that it does for a lot of people. I, yeah. And I, it's something that I like about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Uh, yeah. It's. Yeah. I think. It, I think if you get into it and start looking at 
some of the things about improv, just like being maybe more agreeable or jumping into things. Uh, yeah, it does kind of like turn your life a little bit. Like, honestly, I don't think I'd still be in LA if I had, if I had done, done improv. Like, I was like, ah, oh, this is great. Everything cool that I feel like I've done over the past 10 years and every opportunity I've had is absolutely directly or indirectly related to improv. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think it changed. I'm still like an awkward person socially and everything, but I feel like it helped me immensely in terms of those aspects of my life. Yeah. And then I just look, it's hard to look at it big picture. Cause it's like been the past 10 years of my life. I'm still in it, but like, you know, all of my closest friends are from improv. And then like a lot of those people like met their, like the person that they're married to yeah. through yeah. improv. It's like pretty crazy, you know, yeah. it's, but that's the thing. I remember like, I, I was always kind of afraid of doing comedy like when I was in college and I thought of it in that way of like, I only got two more years to do it. Cause I couldn't imagine, I always imagined like, uh, like the movie punchline and like, do you ever see that movie about standups? It makes like the standup world look so cutthroat and so, okay, yeah. you know, um, competitive. And then going to UCB, it was like kind of like this weird clubhouse with like a bunch of other, just like nerds were all together and supporting each other. Yeah. And I think that's, a, that's another cool thing that's unique to the improv uh world which is that sense of community that sort of develops yeah my actually when my when my, my dad took my dad to see a show that i did uh and there was a couple you know a couple teams performing and he was like he was walking out he's like everybody seems to like really like each other like it almost feels it's almost more of a social event than it is necessarily an art piece or performance it's like everybody's like a, everybody's friends i'm like yeah yeah he's like that's great like you couldn't ask for like a better thing to do is like being friends and then doing something creative that you enjoy doing. And yeah, it's great. Uh, it, it, it definitely is what kept me in New York when I was in New York, where you said like, I probably still wouldn't be in LA. Yeah. Cause I remember having like, that was like a very common thing. If I kind of didn't have anything to do one night, I would just like go to the theater because yeah, you know, somebody else will be there. We'll be go hang out afterwards. Have a nice chat. And yeah, before they made a rule against this, I would always get like a thing of soup sit in the back row and like eat soup why they made a rule against soup they made a rule against food on the food in the theater in general because it's also kind of like that's very gross of me to bring hot soup into into a tiny theater people trying to watch comedy but uh uh, i was gonna real quick say that that new york theater sucks what (laughs) nothing about the theater itself there's a big pillar in the middle of the stage. Oh, okay. I like that you can put oh, more man, people Don't in attach it. me to it, man. Yeah, I, just, I, I got a lot of friends there I, still. I, I, hey, <laughs> the, 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 nothing against your friends or the, anything else, but like, I remember I got there uh, and I went, the uh, first time I've ever been was just in September, uh, and I'm like, there's a big fucking pillar in the stage. Like, what? why is that there? Yeah. Am I in the wrong, am I in a different UCB or something? <laughs> all, everything yeah. about all those things that are like that about UCB though, I think also make it great. You yeah. know, like, Oh, it's cool. It's so it's under a supermarket. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, it was awesome there. And they have like all the, the, the team like posters and stuff in the back. Like it's really, again, that to me, I was just like, Oh, there's like a real like little community and like, it's got history. And it felt like more alive and cool just for that. Yeah. I was, I was I'm very excited to be there. Uh, and all great shows. So, okay. The theater's great. <laughs> I'll come around. Um, all right. So, uh, la- last thing, uh, let's see if I want to make sure I covered everything. Uh, here, this is the, uh, the pearls of wisdom portion of the, the, the podcast. Uh, and it's, I've wondered if you have any note that you ever received or maybe one that you got that had, uh, a pretty, uh, a big impact on you or something that maybe 
clicked into your head when you heard it. Uh, I remember doing uh, workshops with Ian Roberts. Uh, he, he taught a series of workshops, and then I was we were also lucky enough that he coached uh, my team, Dillinger, a couple of times. That's really cool. I think the biggest thing I took away from that, because I really took to the idea of game and premise so much that I was always thinking in terms of that and like I think my improv was very listy feeling in that way mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like just trying to come up with a list of specifics that fall under this game yeah. and I think at the time he was really stretching, uh, stressing playing at the top of your intelligence and I can't think of like any one specific note but I remember like everything he said in those classes were things that I wrote down that like really really became like like things that I thought about when I was doing it things that I thought about when I was watching it and that really helped a lot. Like, he kind of, this is an exercise that, you know, a lot of people use now, but he would do the thing where he'd just, like, give you a serious situation, and you would act that serious situation out, and then you would, he would throw one tiny, tiny change at you. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember doing a scene where I, like, had a scar or something, like a really terrible scar after a surgery, and I had to be, like, upset about it with my doctor. And then mm-hmm. we did it again, and it was, like, a swastika was the star, which is terrible, you know? <laughs> but it was, we played it with, like, the same sort of, both guys played it with the same passionate, like, not thinking it's crazy, the doctor that was crazy that put it on, and, like, being enraged yeah. as the patient. And, I don't know, that that idea of, like, really committing, really letting the thing be real to the characters, and and being in that reality, I feel like, was, like, an important lesson. Great. Especially coming, like, because I didn't come from an acting background or anything, yeah. so. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, one, you once said to, in my 201 class, I think I asked you after, like, hey, uh, so I'm, like, in this improv thing, how do I get, like, better? I uh, say my classes, shows, whatever, and it's, like, at a certain point, you have to take, like, an acting class to get, like, to be perfectly honest, that's a... I think it's a great idea, you know, and some people, I think, I think you... you are getting better at acting as you do improv. Yeah, true. Especially when you're working with good coaches and good teachers. Uh, but at a certain point, everybody I know that did that and like went to Atlantic Theater Company or something and took classes on the side, their improv went up at a whole other level. Yeah. And it wasn't like they didn't get any funnier. They didn't like learn a bunch of new references or anything. It's just like they got better at, you know, executing their own ideas, basically. Yeah. That's great. Um, all right, Joe. Well, uh, I guess that's about it. I, uh, if you if you have anything that you want to uh, share with the people, plugs, uh, uh, the smokes, uh, your Twitter. I always screw uh, this up at the end of podcasts where I like say like Nah, nothing, and then I remember a show that I your office when is hours. This, when is this coming out? I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it up tomorrow and publicize it on Monday. So. Well, yeah, the smokes are on Monday nights at seven o'clock. Um, right. Let me. Your office hours are now from eleven to six on Monday. My office really? hours are yeah eleven, maybe even twelve. Maybe okay. it should have been a better thing. I one. should have said it's one. To, but one Monday to afternoon, and you can email me at joe at ucbcomedy.com and say, hey, I want to come in, and, and yeah. we can schedule a time that way. Uh, this Thursday, which I believe is February 23rd. Can you confirm that? Sure. I'll I'll do that for you. I will confirm or deny. I wish I could do this better. Come on, iCal. Yeah, Thursday, February 23rd. Uh, I'm doing a, uh, a callback for the Just for Laughs, uh, Montreal Just for Laughs. Oh, that's great. 
uh, a bunch of stand-ups are doing it, and we're all doing six-minute sets. So that's this Thursday, February 23rd at 7 o'clock. So Where? That's something that I want people to go at, the Improv Lab on Melrose. It's cool. right next to the Improv. The Improv Lab on Melrose, Thursday, the February 23rd, 7 o'clock. Cool. Be there watch the show. All right, that's it. Thanks, man. This was fun. So, that was great. Thank you. Do you like talking about things you're not qualified to talk about? Us too. The Dumb Nerds Podcast, a show where comedians talk about smart topics they're too dumb for. Every week, your host, that's me, Cassie Jerkins, invites a new funny guest on to get down and nerdy. Laugh and learn about topics like how to buy a house, the Terminator movies, and the Titanic. Check out Dumb Nerds today on your favorite podcast app.